accent. My name is Luke. And I'm Ashley. And this is Missions Month at First Baptist Arlington. If you're a part of our church, if you're not, every November we celebrate Missions Month where we give to the World Mission Offering and talk about and demonstrate the work we do around the world and locally. Correct. Correct. So in today's podcast, we want to explore the word diaspora. And while we're exploring it, we're going to look at its historical and contemporary use. So, Luke, what does diaspora mean from a biblical concept? Yeah, so uh, diaspora is actually a Greek word, and it means disperse or scatter. Uh, and it appears first probably in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And that occurs in Deuteronomy 28, 25. So in that verse, God warns the people of Israel that if they don't keep the covenant, if they don't keep his commandments, they're going to be scattered. Um, And we know because we've read the Bible that that eventually does happen. So they'll be scattered in the seven directions before their enemies. And the Greek word diaspora is actually used to describe this flight uh, out of the promised land. So the most common use of the word diaspora in English for hundreds of years was as a name for the Jews who were scattered across the globe after the Babylonian exile and later the destruction of the second temple. So we get to this word diaspora from the biblical narrative, but it's used to it's used in contemporary conversations around migration. And this word has many faces um, and but. Really what we're talking about in migration is people on the move. It's happening right now at unprecedented level. Um, People are taking up residence away from their place of origin, but they're also keeping connection to their home home country or maybe their cultural identity or um, also their sense of community. And um, but one of the things that we have to remember is that this includes forced migration, people who are forced um, out of their home country due to economic reasons, maybe war, maybe persecution. And we refer to those people today as refugees, asylum seekers. Sometimes it's people who are stateless. They have no country of origin. Um, what I find interesting about the diaspora is their grapevine network of information and connections. And these networks reach back home to their origin and around the world. And what I like to think of these networks is highways. So if you get connected to this highway system, you have a whole new community um, ecosystem to explore. And these people that are connected here become doors to these vast networks. And as someone who's not from the diaspora, I've seen the benefit of these networks. And I've benefited from these networks just in relationships and help and care. Um, So when we're talking about the history of gossiping the gospel, um, Luke's mentioned that before in one of our episodes, Um, our our mission as we interact with the world around us, we want to make sure that we keep in mind that the diaspora, as we interact with people who are on the move, are strategic in carrying the gospel message. That's exactly right. So when we think about the early church and Acts, one of the things that happens is initially Christianity is pretty much localized in Jerusalem. And then at a certain point, it kind of branches off from Judaism. And that really happens when Jews are actually expelled from the city and the Jewish diaspora starts again in earnest. But Christians went on the move with them because the earliest Christians were Jews. 
And so they move across the Roman Empire, and it's at that time that we actually begin to see that the gospel message is spreading around at that time what was the known world for Western civilization. So today when we think about diaspora movements, they really are these pivotal pieces for people to actually gossip the gospel with the people that they know. Um, so we can think about um, here in our context, we are located next to a major tier one research university. It's, I think, the fourth most ethnically diverse university in America, um, which is incredible. We live in the eighth most ethnically diverse city in America. So, I mean, if you are here in Arlington, Texas, you're surrounded by diaspora movements. So whether those people are going to go back home or not, as you've mentioned they retain their family connections most of the time. They retain friendships, and they are still in touch with people back home. So you have people who encounter Jesus here in Arlington, Texas, or perhaps you're listening somewhere else, wherever you live, and they're diaspora people, migrants. They're going to communicate the gospel with people that they know back home. And so it's not a stretch to think about the fact that here, in our context again, you have students who are going to go back and be at top levels of industries back in their home country. If those students become Christians while they're here, the ability to transform an entire culture becomes huge. Um, the gospel can work along those network lines because they're going to gossip the gospel once they come to know Christ. Yeah, it's incredible to think about. It, you know, I've been working among, alongside, and partnering with the diaspora for over a decade. Um, the segment I've been working with is really um, refugees or people who find themselves seeking asylum. Um, and so my experience with them is that you you find these individuals as people who are extremely strong. Um, they have overcome a lot. And sometimes when um, we think about the diaspora. We always think about an us and them, and when we, when in fact, sometimes we have to understand that those that are a part of the diaspora, maybe they haven't heard the gospel, but sometimes they're carrying the gospel. And so, one of the one of the pushes that I I really want our church to take away is um, this idea that we have to start viewing ourselves as kingdom citizens. And when we receive people, they could be carrying the gospel. And what we can do is is to send them back out to their own people here that is still, um, you know, a part of the diaspora and to be the church together. Um, so I think that's a, a wonderful um, thought, and we're, we're trying to do that right now. Um, one of the another point that I do want to make is that uh, we can connect these people to the same experiences that we see in the Bible and the biblical narratives, especially like for example Exodus. Um, Exodus is a narrative of a people who uh, spiritually has a place in God um, I, and the identity of God and being a holy nation uh, claimed by God, and yet in the physical world. They are deemed stateless. And until they are able to conquer and find a land, um, that we would define them today as stateless. And sometimes we forget that, you know, when we're looking at what we would deem as vulnerable people, 
they can be just as used and um, I mean, I mean this in, in a good sense of useful to the kingdom of God because God loves them and he has something for them and they can carry the message and we can actually learn a lot from them. And so I, I want us to be careful always to when we think to stop thinking of it from an us and them. But sometimes if they're believers, we need to think of them as a we and we mm. can do this together. Yeah, and I think even beyond that, when we think about the fact that there are people in the diaspora, there are people who are global migrants, m- many of whom are Christians who've had to leave their home country for various reasons, mainly for Christian diaspora. It's related to persecution. And those people end up here. And they actually have a lot to teach us. They have a lot to offer in terms of how they help us view and understand the gospel. Um they have the ability to challenge us in ways that we maybe aren't used to being challenged because we don't live in a place where we're persecuted for our faith and there are things we're really comfortable with. They can help us recognize the places where our cultural and national identity have taken a place of prominence over our Christian identity. And they That's have good. a way of pointing that out uh, that we're blind to because – our culture is just the water we swim in, but we have Christians coming to us in the diaspora, and we need to listen to them. They have a very important things to say. They do. They do. It's it's iron sharpening iron, and it's not fun. I have brothers and sisters who do that all the time with me, and um, um, from the diaspora, and um, I'm I'm so blessed by their friendship. But they have a lot to teach me, um, and to teach us. So. Let's talk a little bit about that, Luke. Around the table, when we get the when we get around the table, and you have different voices, um, we have our um, brothers and sisters who have experienced deep persecution, who are from another country, um, maybe the global south, and um, we have our Western identi- identity and ideas at the table. What are some of the issues around that? Mm. Well, I mean, I think there's, I mean, so many opportunities as I think so many times we get in conversation with people and we have our own set of questions that we're looking for answers to, but we forget that Christians around the world in many cases are trying to answer and grapple with a different set of questions and they're questions we've never even considered or thought of. So I think sometimes we can be tempted to, even in the spirit of trying to give someone a voice, working to, we tend to try to get them to answer questions that they're not even asking, they're not even thinking about. And so inadvertently, we end up setting the stage by dominating the questions that we want them to respond to. And so we need to let them speak and stand on their own two feet. Uh, They have a word for us that we may never have even considered. So try not to let your questions dominate what's happening. It's good to ask questions, so please do that. Um, But realize there may be questions you haven't even thought of that they're dealing with that you need to hear. Um, And that's hard. That's a hard thing to do. It is hard, and you're actually speaking to me right now, man. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It is, it is extremely hard. Um, so this 
you're really talking about a posture of listening and being humble and not one of one who has all the questions or answers at, at the table. We've, we've got to come as Westerners, we've got to come to this table and say, what do you need to say? What do you need to share? What do I need to hear first? That's exactly right. It's hard. That's difficult. It's very hard. What I love about our brothers and sisters um, across the table is that they know that our hearts are good and they have grace towards us when we fail to do that. I mean, it happened today for me, to be honest. Um, Mm. My brother was just explaining some things and he said, what I love about the Americans is that you'll have good hearts. Um. But you need to learn a few other things. Mm. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and he's right. He's right. Yeah. So are, are there any other things that we, I mean, this is a huge topic and one that you've been a part of for a long time in terms of what it means to, have, to be at the same table, Luke. Is there another issue or something that we need to take away from this? Um, briefly, because we can dive deep into this and we will later in some other podcasts, but yeah, I mean, I think if you are someone who is teaching the Bible and you don't have access to people to learn from who are part of the diaspora, there's a whole wealth of resources uh, that are written by Christians from around the world and recognizing that if you're wanting to consult the wisdom of other Christians from other cultures who are looking at Scripture through a lens that's different than yours, you can, thanks to the magic of the internet, actually find those things. So seek out, you know, Christian biblical scholars from Asia. There's an entire Asian theological association. So if you don't know where to start, that's a great place to look. Um, There's some really solid Asian theologians who are asking questions you've, I promise, unless you're an Asian American Christian, I can promise you've never thought about. Um, But they're important questions and we learn a lot from them. Um, You know, if you are not in a position of teaching or preaching, encourage your pastor or your teacher to engage those resources. Um, Hopefully, you have access to people to learn from in person. And I hope that you can remember, as I think Dr. Wiles is so fond of saying, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so when we get there, we're not above anyone. Um, You're just, you know, I think what we need to do, Luke, is we need to start a resource page. Mm, That's a good idea. Different voices around the world so that we can guide people who are listening in and really want access to some good, solid resources from other um, voices around the table. Coming to you one day. Yes. (laughs) One day. Man, this is good. Okay. Um, Well, this is part one of our Live Sent series for Missions Month here at First Baptist Arlington. Uh, we will have another episode coming out this month related to some of the themes we're exploring during Missions Month. So look for that podcast in a couple of weeks, and we look forward to being with you again. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see you later. Thanks for listening.